Welcome to Plastic Model Mojo, a podcast dedicated to scale modeling, as well as the news and events around the hobby, where we hope to be informative and entertaining and help you keep your modeling mojo alive. We're back, and we're back for a big one tonight. We have got uh, episode 50 of Plastic Model Mojo. Can you believe we've done, well, our, doing our 50th episode? No, I cannot. This is, uh, this is for some reason, round numbers are a big deal, and there's nothing, uh, nothing more big deal than number 5-0. Well, and to help us get through this one, we got Jim Bates from Scale Canadian TV with us tonight. Jim, how's things out on the West Coast? Cold and rainy. But I also can't believe you guys did 50. No end in sight. I mean, we're not tired of it this yet. and They don't seem to be tired of us. Not yet. Not yet. Not yet. Dave, to kick this off, what's going on in your model sphere this week? Well, the last two weeks have been a, a good two weeks. I've gotten modeling in. And in addition, we got to go to another model contest. Not only did we get to go to another model contest, we got to go to another model contest and sit right next to a faux Quolf 190. And, uh, you know, there's nothing to get the blood moving than a, a room full of vendors, a room full of models, the life-size real things. It was fantastic. I've got to say, I'm my mojo is flowing. Jim, what about you? I've been kind of in a, a, a down trough the last couple of weeks and uh, finally a little bit broke through that on Sunday, but I have 80,000 things on the bench and I believe Dave officially said I am ill when I sent him a picture. He sent me a picture of his, what he claims is his current modeling desk exactly as it looked like. I accused him of setting it up to just as a joke because, I mean, there's crap everywhere and there's not two square inches of surface that you can actually model on well maybe that's the problem jim actually i cleaned the bench last week <laughs> so uh mike what what's been going on in your model sphere well other than the show we'll get to that in just a second um let's talk about you know this 50th episode i guess has been in my model sphere because i've been thinking about this and I just want tonight to be kind of a casual affair with some sound bites from Cincinnati that we recorded, and uh, we'll just go back and forth through the, through the segments and fill it up. And to start off, this show was held at the Tri-State Warbird Museum in uh, Batavia, Ohio, which is just a few minutes east of uh, downtown Cincinnati. Man, that place was top-notch for size, for, for anything, really. You know, we were it was tied in there because there's a bunch of tables and, and a lot of airplanes, but uh, the lighting was, was really nice, and I don't know, it was just a... A pretty festive time. I had a great time. Yes, I agree. It was fantastic. And that is a top-notch facility, and I had never been there before. I can't believe I didn't know that it was there. Jim, was it there when you were in Cincinnati? I have been to the museum, yes. Um, they have added a lot of airplanes since I was last there, though the Corsair is still in pieces, I noticed. But they've got one. Yep, yep. That's actually one of the uh, Baba Black Sheep Corsairs. Oh, wow. So, Jim... Do you have some modeling fluid since you are you are participating with us on our 50th episode? Did you honor the tradition by bringing in some modeling fluid? I uh you can hear the uh ice shaking in the glass. I went for a little Woodford Reserve tonight in your guys 50th uh honor. Uh, that's a good choice. Just down the road a little bit for me. Woodford is. What about you, Dave? 
I am having, in honor of Halloween, Dead Guy Ale by Rogue Brewery. Okay, I've had that. Have you? I was going to say, I I have it. This is the first time uh, one of the neighbors brought it to the Halloween party last night. And since uh, I was doing some driving and couldn't, couldn't have a beer last night, I saved it for tonight. Initial impressions pretty good, pretty smooth. We'll have to we'll have to see the review at the end, but so far it's it's kind of promising. Mike? Well, I've got a bottle of Basil Hayden's. Oh wow. Nice nice choice. I was sipping it neat, but now I've got some ice in it because I'm I'm over that. Uh we'll uh we'll get back to the end and uh see how it turns out. I know how it's gonna turn out, but we'll let everybody know how it turns out. <laughs> <laughs> are you suggesting that this maybe isn't the first time you've ever had that it, bourbon? It, it is not. It is not. I, I I picked a I picked a good one. Well, good. I can't wait to hear about it. Well, let's take a short pause here and get into uh, our first live segment from our our little adventure up to Cincinnati. So this is about an hour and a half, give or take, for both of us from Lexington and Louisville. Yep. Start out a little rainy. It was rainy and dark when we started out this morning, but you know what? It turned into a decent day, and we got here, and what better facility could you have? I don't know, man. There's a lot of nice warbirds in here, and yep. they're all in really immaculate condition. Yep. All flyable. Every so one we'll, of we'll post some photos on the Facebook page about that, and uh, you can see what what this place looks like. <laughs> so we're dealing with a few PA interruptions here. Uh, <laughs> Well, the weather broke, and we got here, and it's a great facility. Um, what do you think, man? I, you know what? This this first time I've been to, been here with uh, them holding an actual contest in here, um, it's fantastic. Again, how many times can you sit or, sit at a model contest, which is a, a great thing anyway, sit with your back to a Fock Wolf 190, and... And talk modeling. It's, <laughs> you know, just, it's unreal. It's kind of weird. Uh, so I'm sure folks will see on the Facebook page before this, this airs, but uh, this museum, it's, it's, a, it's a replica. Yes. But it's a well-constructed, flyable, flyable replica of a, what, what model is it? Focke-Wulf 190, is it an A or an F? I, it, I don't know them. It's one of the short-nosed Focke-Wulf 190s, either Focke-Wulf 190A or A4 or an F4 or an F8. Um, but it's immaculate. You, Other than the modern GPS fairing and a couple of modern antennas that are required to, to fly the thing. Uh, and the fact, if you look at it from the front, it's got a Pratt & Whitney engine in it and not a, not a BMW 801. You, you'd never know the difference. And it's painted up beautifully. Uh, it just, it's a surreal experience to be sitting here podcasting at a model contest, sitting next to it. Uh, I really like it. It's cool. Well, I've sold all my kits already. It's not even noon. You got a big stack in front of you still. <laughs> yeah, I've, so, I've sold quite a, quite a bit, but I've still got some left. But uh, you know what? Uh, I, I vend just to have a table and a place to sit. And and, uh, and it starts conversations. It too. does. It really does. Which we've had a number of already. Yes. And that is, that is, that's the thing that for the last 18 months was really missing with all this COVID crap is the fact that, you know, we missed getting together with other modelers talking models. Now, the podcast came 
came along for us at just the right time. We launched it. We didn't know COVID was going to come and hit, but the uh, interactions that we have with all the folks who listen and all kind of help make up for the fact that we weren't going to podcast or going to contests and getting to have this kind of interaction in person with people like the former IPMS USA president, John Nowak, who just happened to walk up to our table. (laughs) Well, let's get back to the show, Dave, and we'll, we'll check back in a little bit. You got it. All right, guys, you ready for some listener mail? Because we got yes. quite a bit. Absolutely. Yes. So, Jim, you feel free to answer any of these you feel like answering. Okay. <laughs> uh, the first one is actually, he sent us two, uh, David Waples. Uh, he's a off contributor to our, our listener mailbag. He's in the Denver, Colorado area. Uh, he leads a model ship club in the Denver area. It's called Mile High Model Ship Club. And he's got a blog spot address that I'll put in the show notes if anybody wants to check that out. He says that, uh, I'm not sure how deep you're headed into the model ship world. He's talking to me. <laughs> but I would strongly recommend some of the multimedia kits made by Black Cat Models. They eliminate a lot of the photo etch bits and are excellent moldings and 3D printed parts. Well, I guess my interest right now is parts of ships in 72nd scale that have... Uh, armament or aviation kind of parts of the ship. So that's kind of where I'm at. So I don't know about that, but he also, he also hits you up, Dave. All right. Uh, Dave, if I remember right, you're interested in one seventy second scale submarines. Yes. If so, and you like DOS works, U nine, you might find the UB one offering from RC subs.cz. So it's a check check company that makes, yes. Uh, Models and, you know, detail parts. Uh, let's see. He says you can buy the 3D printed file from them or, the, or and print it yourself or they'll print it for you. They do an excellent uh, photo etch set plus turn brass parts for that one. One of their club members is actually printing it for him. And he looks forward to starting that soon. What are you about to say there? I was going to say I've actually, uh, I ran across that online. It's, uh, I think it's actually an Austro-Hungarian submarine. Uh, and it looks, I've seen it, pictures of it. Uh, you know, somebody's built it up and uh, it, it has that same steampunk look that the U nine has. And, and I got to say, I'm interested in uh, his recommendation may just put, push me over the edge. Dave, how many 72nd submarines do you have? 72nd scale. I've got five different U boats, the Gatto, the Skipjack and a 72nd scale vacuum-formed Los Angeles-class submarine that Mr. Groves is to blame for. Uh, so probably a dozen. Wow. Is that your cup of tea, Jim? No, not at all. I just, uh, there's a part of me that's always wanted to do one of the U-boats. And one of the Ravel kits has the markings in it for when it was used by the Canadian Navy. And they painted it, I think, red and yellow and then sunk it somewhere. So that's one that's been on my radar, but they're just so big. They are. And that the, the Los Angeles one blows my mind. Yes. Well, Dave also says that RC Subs make some excellent and correct photo etch sets for a number of the Ravel and Bronco kits. And if you want the sub to drive around your pool, Dave, they can set you up with that as well. <laughs> That might, you know, that I have the most understanding wife in the world, uh, but that one might just cross the line. So I don't think I'm going RC in my in my in my pool in my backyard. Uh, well, in his second email, he was uh, 
commenting on the Dr. Strangerest episode, and he said he was he was taken back by one thing that uh, that John said, and it was the drain that your tank every six months bit. And he's like, "Did I hear that right?" Um, and he he uh, talks about a Phil Flory from Flory Models over in the UK, uh, one of his "Don't Do Like I Do" episodes. I guess he had a uh, an air tank disaster. I'll have to go look into that. But uh, Dave reminds us that most uh, compressor manufacturers recommend you drive drain that tank after every use. Yes, they do. Actually, my my Silent Air, my Sil, Silent Air Sil Twenty A, they recommend once a week if you use it uh, regularly. Yeah, and I think that's the key part. There is is a lot of um, shop compressors get used every day for long hours, so yes. it's pro- it's probably a good habit, and it's probably you know manufacturer's recommendation. So if you want to be as safe as you can be, that's probably not a bad idea. And it doesn't take long to do. To be honest with you, it really doesn't take long to do. If we uh, listen though to uh, Doctor Strange Brush and the way he does it by putting it outside in the sun, I I think he's kind of full of it because we don't have that much sun in Seattle to do that every six months. <laughs> well i'm sure you get one sunny day every six months maybe maybe i just don't plan well enough but uh, yeah it's easy in the summer but once our once our winter starts we're we're done it's gray every day yeah yeah i'll leave how often up to up to the individual modeler but he is right about draining the tank i've 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 never drained mine (laughs) ever well when jim blows the wind is out of his penthouse there we'll know we'll, we'll know what happened yeah when you hear explosion at plastic model penthouse in tacoma we'll know it it'll be like that scene from fight club where ed norton's apartment explodes yeah exactly up next ted pendergast from uh waltham massachusetts and uh he's got a little vent about show venue lighting it's kind of you know i made comment about the uh the museum lighting was Pretty damn good. I, I was quite surprised how well lit that place was, given how high the ceiling ceilings were, because it was a stinking aircraft hangar. Yeah. Uh, I don't know that it could have been much better unless they were outside, to be honest. I mean, that was about as good as I've ever seen it at a model show. I agree. I agree. In fact, outside would have been worse, because half the day it was gray and overcast. That's true. I, I guess he's just venting about it. You know, he'd be, he'd be put out if you went to a show and uh, the lighting was so bad you couldn't see anything. Boy, do you remember the officers club at, at I, uh, I, I knew you were going there at Fort Knox. Oh my not God. only, do, not only do I remember it, I judged it. And I remember we had to use flashlights to judge the models because the place was so dark. You know, it was an officers club bar. Even when you've turned all the lights on, it's, you know, it's, it's a dim place. And oh my gosh, that was, it was just, you, you, you would have been, you would have been justified if you had judged by a Braille method because you could not see anything without tons of artificial light, AKA flash. They had to actually run out to the store and buy a number of flashlights in order to do that. Well, you guys remember the Shriners building in Columbus, right? Oh, Lord, I'm convinced that IPMS Columbus is a a club full of vampires because that Shriners building was in the dark. And then when they did one of the Nats, it wasn't really all that well lit. 
Right, because they changed the lighting. The hotel changed the lighting on them between when they signed the contract and when when they held the show. Oh, is that what happened? Yeah. Uh, okay. But yeah, that Shriners building was like you were in the dark. It was. It was. And I remember they used to, after the first time, and it was so bad, they kept using the venue and they tried to make it better by bringing in those industrial light stands. Yeah, that's right. But you just couldn't get enough light into the judging area, even with those things. It's probably throwing shadows, too. That's exactly what it did. Well, I think we can all empathize with that one, man. That's a good point. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Yes. Bad lighting at model venues. Yeah. And I, uh, well, I told, God, who was it? Somebody, we got it. We got a message through Facebook messenger too. Somebody was talking about lighting and, and, I, and I made the comment that, uh, you know, a lot of these model shows are held in hotel, uh, banquet halls and school cafeterias where they don't want you to see the food. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I was, I was copied on that exchange. I remember it, but, uh, that's another thing Mike, I know you didn't get to the, uh, to the, our club show this year. The lighting in its new venue for us, and boy, the lighting was fantastic, and you couldn't have asked for anything better. So, you know that that was real encouraging. That was one of the things that caused our club to go and book it for next year right away. All right. Well, the Polish Coast Watchers strike again. All right. Let's see. This is from uh, Ken Beckler from Polish Coast Watchers up in Peoria, Illinois. And uh, it's back to those modulation sets I've, I bought right before last episode. And Jim, I think you've bought a set too, the Mr. Color modulation sets. Yes, I went and bought the OD set after you mentioned it. So I blame you. Well, I'm still looking for the Russian green one. He tries. He says I should try Michigan Toy Soldier, which is not a bad idea. Um, where'd you get yours? Uh, Gundam USA. And they had all of the sets other than the Russian green. Okay. Well, <laughs> you got there right after I did. Yeah, and... <laughs> I think I found a Russian green one on like Amazon or something, but it was crazy expensive, like 30 bucks. Yeah, it's probably in Japan. Yeah. Well, I'll keep looking. If anybody else knows a source for those, I'd appreciate it. Because I, I think the, it's a good value for the money considering how, how big the bottles are versus the regular Mr. Color bottles. Yeah. Uh, up next, Robbie Naus from Arrowhead, Alberta, Canada, a.k.a. the model guy. Robbie's got a... A, a well-written email to us about uh, glossing versus not glossing before decals. And we had some comments about that last time. And again, I'm going to, I'm going to defer this one because we are working on a episode with Dr. Strangebrush about decaling. And, you know, we, we mentioned there were kind of two schools of thought here and all things equal. Do you really need to do it or not? And there's a big debate around that. And Sometimes it's ugly, sometimes it's not. But anyway, glossing versus not glossing before decals. And he, he actually, I will mention one thing he 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 talks about is, uh, you know, debate the point, not the person. You know, play the puck, not the player. Ooh, a ho- a hockey reference. Well, he's from Alberta, Canada. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> good Canadians. We got to work in some hockey, eh? There you go. I, I, I find this debate interesting because do what works for you, you know, like I'm a gloss guy, but I'm old. So, you know, if it works without gloss, cool. If it works with gloss, cool. Do what makes you happy. Well, I'm going to tuck this one away because I, I want to bring this one back out when we talk to talk to John next time. So, Robbie, thanks for the input. We appreciate the email. He's really looking for substantive answers to get to the to meat of what he's talking about here. You know, um, a comment like. I, I do it just because I I do it or 
it always works for me or I've never had issues. Those aren't really answers, right? Right. Those are just, just hyperbola about around the topic. So yeah, I want to revisit that, but I don't think we're gonna get to the meat of that tonight, but we've got that episode in the works. We really do. I promise. Oh, here's a good one. All right. Ah, Tim Nelson from Kirkland, Washington. Hey, to tell Tim. He insists that he's just right sized Tim. Yes, he does. And and he claims there's another guy in our club who's too tall, Tim. So I don't know. I'm not, I, I still think he's too tall, Tim, but whatever, eh? Well, he, he appreciated the shout out with the What's Your Plan episode. Um, still waiting for those royalty checks to come pouring in, he says. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> he, may ha- he may have a long wait. So he gives some background information. The original context was the IPMS Seattle August 2020 newsletter. So this wasn't that long ago. Uh, He posed the question in the context of folks stockpiling kits and fearing to build them until they get better. So the logical question was, well, how will you actually get there? And he went on, he says a litany about uh, modeling fears and how he worked to get over them or start to get over them with the intent of not putting pressure on anyone to just do, you know, do your thing. And if it doesn't better to your enjoyment of the hobby, don't do it. If it does, well, that's the whole point. Right. And the excerpt, he gives us the excerpt from the article, uh, quote. So if you're putting stuff off until you quote, get better, what's your plan to actually get better? List your fears and perceived weaknesses and develop your plan to confront them. There's no pressure or rush. It's just a hobby, but decide what will allow you to enjoy modeling to its fullest. You know, the, the thing there that I, that I think is the crux of it all is confront your fears because we as human beings are, you know, we're, we're hardwired to avoid our fears. I mean, our fears were, were there in order to keep us alive and procreating and advancing the, the species and the the modern version of us is that you become risk risk averse. I don't want to mess up this model, so I'm not going to do it until I get better. But you got to just at some point say to heck with it. I'm going to do it. I'm gonna. I'm going to build it. I'm gonna try stuff. And if it doesn't work, it's a twenty dollar model or a thirty dollar model or god forbid a sixty or seventy dollar model but it's still a model and you can go get another one that's true so this was me most of you know twenty years ago ten years ago I had you know I was building all these crappy old airfix and matchbox kits because I was afraid of building the good ones and I finally realized one we're not getting any younger and two it is just a box of plastic so the world doesn't end if you screw it up and, you know, try it. And if you fail, oh, well, if you succeed, awesome. And it was interesting to see Tim write that because having said that so many times, I had this kind of like magical thinking of one day I just wake up and be a better modeler. In fact, I still hope for that. But you're not going to get better by building. And, and Dave and I've talked a lot about this. I think the only way you get better is building a lot. Yes, I completely agree. And, you know, magical thinking doesn't do us any good because, you know, just sitting around avoiding building isn't going to make me better. Yep. And not only that, but you then feel worse about it because you like your hobby. You want to do your hobby. You're not doing your hobby. And then you feel bad about not doing your hobby. And that just that Jim and I have talked about this. That can enter a cycle where it feeds back on itself. 
right. and 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 can rob you of 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 the joy of the hobby. Well, and the other thing that that kind of jumped out with me is this whole and and I've said it a million times. You know, I'm afraid of airbrushing, or I'm afraid of canopy masking, or I'm afraid of decals. And when you sit down and think about it, that's kind of the dumbest thing ever to say, you know, because what's a real fear? You know, cancer, death, you know, illness. It's just a box of plastic. And do you really want to let that box of plastic cause fear or defeat you? You know, so I think what we just need to is be stop being afraid of stuff that doesn't matter, because what's the worst that happens? You blow 60, 70 bucks, you know, not awesome, but not the end of the world. Whereas the things we should be afraid of are really scary. So, uh, you know, I, 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 as I get older, I feel like I'm afraid of less and less things. And they're all illness related, I think. And that's what's, you know, it's so silly to think, why am I afraid of a plastic model? Well, this next one's uh, close to home or close to my heritage. Joel Sherwood, who's written in before from Irwin, Tennessee. That's a neighboring town from my hometown of Johnson City, Tennessee. Uh he has attended his first meeting of the Appalachian scale modelers there in Johnson city. They meet at Hobbytown USA out on the Bristol highway. And, uh, if anyone else in that club is listening, drop us an, drop us an email. I'd like to kind of get a little tighter with the club there with the show. Um, cause just, just because the, my heritage back to that part of the part of the country. And also a modeler named Zach Grizzle, who's quite prolific on, you see him a lot on, uh, over on the Posse's pages, group builds and stuff. He's also from Johnson City. And uh, I hope those two can get in the same orbit sometime soon and see what happens with, uh, with that club. I'd like to see that club prosper and grow. And uh, certainly got two new, two new additions there that I've, uh, hopefully I've steered them to that show. I don't know if I can take complete credit for it, but uh, good on them. Glad to join in that club. Uh, next is uh, David Mason from uh, the Mid-Michigan Model Makers. And uh, he said, we'd love to have you if you want a different show location. And he sent their show flyer. Uh, let's see. They've got a show coming up. It's the 37th annual 4M Mayhem. Great, great name for your show, guys. And it is Saturday, February 5th, 2022. So ways out. But there you go. 4M Mayhem, 37th annual model show, February 5th. So. That's pretty far up there. You know, our our buddies in uh, Ottawa are closer to this show than we are. Well, you know, Michigan in February. I can't think of a better thing to do than go to a model show. Well, Dave, thanks for the invite. And uh, hopefully we'll get you some attendance there by plugging your show. Glad to do it. And uh, who knows? We'll see what happens. Essexville, Michigan. I think that's pretty far up there. That's mid-state, I believe. Yeah. That's the name Mid Michigan. Thanks for thanks for pointing the obvious out there for me. <laughs> Glad, hey, I'm 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 here to contribute wherever I can. That's that's true. <laughs> ah, finally, Lee Hartman, and Lee Hartman is the editor of uh, Classic Truck Modeling Magazine, and uh, <laughs> he's got a good one here. He he first he first got in contact with with us via, via the Facebook Messenger, but he sent an email. Actually, I just got this tonight, uh, so it's the first email of November. Thanks, Lee. Uh, Lee is from uh, Payette, Idaho, and uh, he's still enjoying the podcast while hauling bailed hops from Idaho to Washington State. So he's doing God's work. That's right. And he's suffered through 24 episodes so far. And uh, we've got it, gotten him back to the bench after uh, after several months of hiatus. And he's currently working on a, not a scale model classic truck, but a Volte single engine airliner in uh, 72nd scale. All right. Oh, the probably the Volte V1A. Uh, I wouldn't know. 
I'll have to look it up. I'll have to look it up. Skippy spilt that one. Um, Skippy spilt everything. Uh, you know, he, he comes at us with uh, some modeling disasters. And he says his worst was spilling a bottle of liquid cement and being concerned that it was going to run onto the, onto the floor and not realizing it was melting the plastic tabletop and bonding all the kit parts that were scattered about. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> he said it was such a mess that he ended up letting it dry overnight and using a razor blade to cut all the parts off the table surface. <laughs> but he was able to salvage everything, and the table ended up with a new plywood overlay. Normally, his modeling fluid is coffee since he models in the early morning hours. A word to the wise. Do not use a coffee mug full of water for cleaning brushes. (laughs) Suffice to say, I know what watered down acrylic paint tastes like. (laughs) Well, you're an honest man, Lee. Thanks for the modeling disasters. Those are always fun. And uh, we communicated with him via the Facebook messenger and he sent us some uh, photos of some of the vintage, the forties, thirties, forties, fifties trucks that are his particular area of interest. And man, I'm telling you what, those are some great models. I mean, you know that vintage cars from the 40s and 50s can be very attractive vehicles. You don't realize that those trucks can be as well. And he sent sent along some really neat images. I, I was very impressed by his work. Well, that's all the listener mail for this segment. Uh, if you want to write us, please do so at plasticmodelmojo at gmail.com. And please include your geography. We'd like to know where you're from. And uh, now this is the point in the podcast where I ask you to take a moment. And after you uh, have listened to this episode, please go to your podcast app of choice. And please rate the podcast. Uh, we'd appreciate it. Give it five stars. She'll uh, help us become more visible to more people. Uh, also, please, if you know somebody, if you know a modeler who's not listening to our podcast, if you'd introduce them to it, uh, we'd appreciate it. There is nothing that grows a podcast like a, an endorsement from a current listener who's also a friend. So if you do that, we would appreciate it. And while you're doing that, please check out the other podcasts out there in the model sphere. Uh, you can do so at modelpodcast.com. It's a consortium website we've set up to give you a single repository for all those uh, other podcasts. And speaking of those other podcasts, we ran into uh, Terry Measley at the uh, Cincinnati Model Show, and we got a few words in with him. So let's have a listen to that real quick. Well, Dave, we have a little cross-podcast action going on here today. We have Mr. Terry Measley here from uh, Scale Model Podcast. Terry, well, welcome to our show. Thanks. Thanks for having me on. Well, no problem. Glad to, glad to put a face with the name and uh, glad to have you here. But I'm going to start off with uh, how's Stu doing, by the way? Stu seems in really good spirits. Uh, he's active, so, you know, and, and he's going out and doing things, so that's, that's great. And you came down from Chicago area? Yes. North of Chicago, I think? Yep. I grew up here, um, so I'm spending time with my parents for a couple of days, ah, do the okay. show, help clean out a friend's workshop, you know. Good stuff. Um, have you, gr- you you grew up in Cincinnati? I grew up in Cincinnati. Oh, really? Yep. Oh, my God. Over in Roselawn. I didn't realize that. Yeah. yeah. Nice town. Now, were you, were you here when Jim Bates was here? I don't No, I don't know the name. You don't know Jim? Okay. Because Jim wasn't... Or that, Jim, Jim was in, in, in Cincinnati in the... I guess it was the 90s. We'll have to ask Jim when it uh, was. He's our third wheel. Yeah. All right. Yeah, I left 
uh, Cincinnati in 95. Oh, okay. okay. No, you you all might have that. overlapped at some point. You all might have passed each other. There are a lot of people I've met since that I should have known when I was a kid, but we're like two or three <laughs> years age difference. And when you're a kid, that's that's, that's huge. huge. Yeah, yeah. Huge. it's not like being an adult. Or you might have passed him in Boardwalk Hobby Exactly. One day. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what do you think of the show? What about this facility? This facility is great. It's, we're all just tucked in. We're here in the nook between a, uh, in a Fock Wolf 190s wing and fuselage here. <laughs> you know, that's, uh, don't lean back. No, we no, don't want to no. damage this and pay No, for this it. is kind of cool. You know, it is. Just, well, you lean back a little bit. You touch the wing of a Fock Wolf yeah. 190. I mean, you know. <laughs> it's, Rest your head on the elevator. There yeah, you go. How many days do you get up and get to say that? Right. Probably never. <laughs> yeah, so I remember his collection when it was over at Blue Ash, and he just had a few planes. Um, I think it was an FRU-5 he had. Is that the one in there? No, that one he sold. I'm pretty sure right. it was a 5 because it had the dual intakes. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, and then bought this one. They're restoring the FG-1. FG-1, yeah. Yeah, it's, so it's all opened up. It's fantastic. I'm going to get some pictures of that. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure uh, Chris Wallace wishes here to see that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll get some. We'll get some pictures. Well, I for took him. some just a minute ago. Good. Well, Terry, you got any entries? So, did you bring anything to? Enter? I did bring. I brought. Uh, I'm competing. I brought four um, science fiction entries. Okay. You will have seen those at Wonderfest if you were there. Uh, we were there. We were there. Yeah, they were we over on the judges' long. tables. Okay. Um, and uh, a non-competing B25 because we're spo- the podcast sponsoring yes. the best B25 award. Oh, cool. Yeah, we. We sponsored the show as well, but I don't think we sponsored an award. We no. may have, I don't think, but just to, yeah. to help them out because we're here. Yeah. We're here, we're at this show almost all the time, right? And it's uh, a good show. It is a good yeah. show. It always, I was here two years ago, uh, and it was a really good show then. Yeah, yeah. I, I think despite the disjointed nature of like the vendor room here, where we're set up with all the, <laughs> with the, well, all these one-to-one airplanes in here, I think this facility, despite the aircraft being in here and kind of breaking up the room the way it has, is actually bigger. Than the high school or the, oh. or the junior college or whatever that place is. It's a trade school of some sort. The parking the, lot's not. Yeah. <laughs> the lighting is really good. Yes. Yeah, I'm surprised. This I is mean, a really nice At Wonderfest, I have to bring out the light just so we can see some of the entries yeah. along yeah. the sides there because it's just not enough light. And same with other shows. If if the weather was a little better, they actually will roll some of these aircraft out onto the, onto the tarmac and so you get more room inside. Now, because of the weather being kind of the way it is, yeah. they've left the aircraft in and just put the tables around them. But it's still quite comfortable. I mean, it's not it's not claustrophobic or anything. It's just you have to wind your way around in order to take your time everything. and be careful. Yeah, yeah. You don't, don't wanna... walk into a wing. Uh. <laughs> Somebody's gonna lose the top of their head in there before yeah. it's over with. Yeah, Stabbed exactly. Stabbed on a pedo tube. <laughs> yep. Well, you're gonna be so, judging. You said I'll be judging. Yep. So we have our meeting here in a little bit. Well, good. Glad we caught you before then. Yeah. Um, I will see how the tables fill out. It's looking pretty good in there. I don't know comparative numbers for this show. I know the last invitation we went to was up at uh, Indianapolis, and man, it was gangbusters up there. Yeah. That show was huge. Sure. Nationals was pretty good, but that's Nationals. But this is kind of the first show we've been to since. Well, you since mi- Nationals. you missed. I missed, a little I missed our own show. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Big bummer there. Which but, had double the number of no- entries as normal. So. That. Well, Nimcon had a, I think, a record entries up there in Northern Illinois, and we have the big Butch O'Hare show, which is our largest regional show up yeah. there. Okay. In just a couple of weeks. Are you a member yeah. of that club? I'm not a member of that club. They meet on game night. So. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've been to Terry and and Rich and I've been up to Butch O'Hare several times. Yeah. And love it. It's a great show. 
That's a pretty long haul for us, though. It is. For a day show. It is five. We go up the night before. Stay, you know. There you yeah. go. Oh, yeah. Trying to get there at nine. Yeah. Yeah. Nah, um, those days are done. I'm not getting up at 2.30 or 3 in the morning to drive. I don't know if I ever had those days. Oh, yeah, well, that's a I, lot. Maybe I did. I, I, did a, I did a few. <laughs> well, up and back to Huntsville uh, in a day. Uh, we've done, Skippy and Terry and I have done several times, and that's five hours down or four and a half hours down four and a half hours back with a show in between can be a little tiring it is it's yeah. a long that's a long day it is it is well terry you had me a printed card so i assume yeah. things are going well with scale model podcast with you um being, yeah being well, the i new, mean uh, i pay for the card so <laughs> <laughs> wait a minute he gets a card and i Here, I'll get, get a you, card get come a on card. man cough up Oh, I got a bunch you, of you want one of his cards? I, you want me to make you cards for our podcast? Well, we've got to go. do both of those. <laughs> hey, you want well, to get guests go. out? You got to spread the word. Oh, that's that's not, true. That's, that's true. true. There you go. Terror dot terror. Terror dot terror. Yep. Terror dot terror at gmail dot com. I love that. <laughs> that's a good address. That's me. Yeah. What's what's the date? Is Wonderfest back to its normal date? I th- next year. It's always early June ish. I didn't. Okay. I know they announced the date, but I or end of May. It. Often it's at the Sometimes. end of May. Sometimes, yeah, yeah. It's like that first weekend usually. I'm sure we'll see you again there. Yeah, I'll be there. We came as just pedestrians, and we weren't there long. We did, we did talk to uh, Dave Hodge. Dave Hodge, and uh, had a good time <laughs> doing that. He took care of us. Yes, and uh, we'll probably do that again. But uh, other than the. The bartender issue. Yeah, it was, it was a good show. I'd never. Well, I said never. I hadn't been in almost fifteen years. Well, we, we came through as pedestrians at Wonderfest, and I was just—it was jaw dropping. Yes. Now, a few of those entries we saw it again at Nats. Right. That mm-hmm. that, that, that uh, Rogue One Hammerhead Corvette. Right. We saw it at the National Convention. We saw it. Yeah, I saw pictures of it there. Yeah, that's outstanding work. Well, that that is the thing that that a lot of people don't realize is. How much now, you know, it used to be the stuff you see at Wonderfest you would never see elsewhere. Now more and more of it is being brought because I think they feel a little more accepted, a little more welcome. You're starting to see more Gundam, more sci-fi, more those those categories are, you are. exploding. And if shows want to cater to that, they will they will get in touch with the Gundam build groups and yep. such and have a sure. specified category. Yes. It is a different style. It has to be judged differently. Yes. I agree completely. Well, Terry. All right. Thanks for joining us. Good yes. to see you. Good I hope you. to see you at Wonderfest here yeah. in the spring or early summer. And uh, we'll let you get on. you got a judges meeting about 15 minutes. You yes. might want to grab a bite to eat and uh, yeah. other stuff. Or, <laughs> yeah. or, or grab <laughs> another kit. You, I know yeah. you need to get another oh, kit. Oh, I way overspent at NimCon, so <laughs> I've got to be careful. <laughs> All right. Well, you. you take okay. care. All right. Thanks, guys. You're welcome. Well, it was good to meet Terry up there. Put a name with a face. Um, he came all the way down from the Chicago area, but I think, his, his, like he said, his folks still live there. In addition to the podcast, please check out all our blog and YouTube friends. Got uh, Stephen Lee with Sprue Pie with Frets and Chris Wallace with Model Air Playmaker. Uh, Stephen's got a blog and Chris has a blog and a YouTube channel, both worth checking out. We've got Mr. Jeff Groves, the inside guy and all things 72nd scale. Uh, we, we also ran into him up at the... Uh, the show in Cincinnati. So uh, let's take another quick break and uh, listen to what Jeff had to say to us. Well, Dave, look who showed up in Cincinnati, just like he said he would. Yeah, not only that, but he brought along a little, a few goodies for you. 
Well, Jeff, thanks for bringing those books. I, I hinted at in the last episode. Uh, you're the only person I know when I say I'm going down a rabbit hole actually hands me a shovel. <laughs> <laughs> you can never have too many rabbit holes. You I'm, never can have too many rabbit holes. I'm not sure he's handing you a shovel. I think he's handing you a steam shovel. I uh, think you're probably right. It's all really interesting. I didn't know I liked ships so much. There's a backhoe in there somewhere there is, for you. So I appreciate it. So, uh, no problem. No problem. Make sure I dive into that a little a little more this time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, now you're just about ready to pull the uh, the Paul back out, right? Yeah. So. That one's pretty tame, though, because I don't have a lot of reference on that catapult system. As, yeah. as is anybody else, really, apparently. Yeah, yeah. There's not a lot on the Paul. Not a lot. Well, Jeff, how's the, how's the blog going? The blog's going okay. Um, just about to the end of the year with it again. Past my 1,000th blog post in, I want to say, August. So I've been at it just a little more than three years. Your uh, your partner in crime kind of drugged me kicking and screaming down the blog path there. I will say that once once I convinced you to do it, you went whole hog, man. Yeah, speaking of rabbit you, holes. And he's to convince himself to do it. Yeah. <laughs> at least more than he is. Yeah. But his yeah. is mixed topic, so. Yeah, know, yeah. Yours I'm, is all 70-second scale for the most part. Yeah, yeah, for the most part. Yeah. For the most part. But, uh, I mean, you, you dove in with both feet. I'm telling you what, especially your your batch build. Uh, what's the last batch build you did? I have just finished up some uh, Polish campaign armor. Uh, brought a TKS to put on the table here that's about the size of your thumb, it turns out, in 70-second scale. And did some German vehicles. And I'm actually working on some dioramas and bases for those with cavalry mixed in. Oh, okay. Oh, that's cool. There now, are those the first, most of them the first to fight kits? or Some of them are. Some okay. of them are. It's an interesting line. They've got some stuff that you just don't see kitted anywhere else. Right. Now, are they, how to say it, are, they're obviously they're scale models, but are they... Are they geared toward the scale modeler or like the Wargamer or somewhere in between? Or? Probably somewhere in between. They're a little bit simplified for what we would typically do, but they can be dressed up. Okay. Well, that one's small. I don't know if you can dress that one up too much. <laughs> it doesn't take a lot to dress I mean, I've that got one a, up. I've got a 35th scale, and it's not <laughs> but about three inches square. Oh, it's, it is the, <laughs> uh, the, in 35th scale, the TKS is the size of the palm of your hand, not not the palm and fingers, just the palm of your hand. And in 72nd scale, it's a postage stamp. You yeah, could yeah. cover it with a postage stamp. Yep. Wow. Well, it looks sharp. I, I got some pictures of it. I hope they turn oh, out. Great, yeah. great. It's a new phone, a new camera. Anything else in the blog that's coming up you want to talk about? Uh, I've got no big plans, just trucking, tr- trucking along with it. Um, it. It's fun. As long as it stays fun, I'll keep doing it. Where, where are you getting most of your, uh, you know, when you do a, a photo feature like a walk around or whatever, where are you getting your photos for, you know, the, the you focus on, let's say, a TBM or an F4F or whatever. Where are you finding those photos? Uh, I find most of them online in various places. There are a lot more color photographs out there than people generally think of that's, the World War II topics. That's what I find amazing. Yeah. That, that's what I find amazing is you come up with all of these color period color photographs from World War II that, frankly, many of them I've never seen before. Well, you, you probably have, but they've been tucked away in various places. And if you put them all together, a lot of times you find out that, that hey, there's actually three pictures of this same aircraft and 
one of them's from the other side that you don't normally see. Oh, yeah. Gotcha. So if you can hook that stuff together, I you know that's one of the quandaries of, of modeling in general is you get one picture of one side and you're guessing as to what the other other side looks like. Yeah. So uh, so when are we going to start getting YouTube videos? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I've actually thought about that, but uh, there, something would have to give if, yeah. if we went down that rabbit hole. Well, it's not like you're building a new house or anything. No. You've got plenty of free. <laughs> it kind of is like we're building a new house or <laughs> anything. But, plenty uh, of free time. Yeah. But I, you know, Jim puts together something that's. It looks relatively simple to put together. I bet he's got a lot more back time and thought and editing in into it than it looks like, but it's a nice conversational style. Well, and and his stuff, what he's doing, he's only now starting to get into the editing. He was shooting those as pretty much single takes and not doing much of any editing or cleanup. Just in the last uh, episode, he has started to do video editing, and he's really, I just talked to him yesterday and uh he is now just starting to get into learning the the video editing in anything like a a detailed way well apparently all you need is a cell phone and, and a tie-dye t-shirt and you can you <laughs> yeah, can be much. a youtube star yeah. and unfortunately for him a lot of free weekends yeah there you go there you go um but uh, well, it's the the thing about uh, you t- take a look at Plasmo or or Martin Kovac Night Shift. Oh yeah, I don't think people realize how much editing time goes into making those. Well, and the production values on those are just top drawer. I yeah, mean, exactly, they, you can stand those up against anything on YouTube. And yeah, they stand up well. Yeah, whereas doing a blog, it's you know it can be a little bit of time, but it's not that kind of time commitment yeah well don't yeah. make it so hard you stop yeah anything exactly yeah. I, I enjoy your blog and we're glad to plug it every every episode well i do appreciate it and uh likewise i often am at the bench listening to you guys rattle well, on so that's tell a everybody good thing too. T- tell everybody your blog firsthand what's it called again uh, inch high guy it's on wordpress.com uh I, I post something every day sometimes meaningful sometimes not but uh it's something always meaningful <laughs> well you're a 70 second skill guy. that's right yeah. that's right and as as it should be that's always meaningful yeah all the guys on the blog are inch high that's right <laughs> well thanks for stopping by jeff good to see you again thanks for having me thanks always for the a pleasure books. i'll get and, them back to you next time i see you i hope yeah, yeah well let me know what the next rabbit hole is and i'll bring a different i don't shovel. need anymore i don't need anymore <laughs> all right thank you bye-bye thank you. bye-bye and last but not least, Jim Bates of Scale Canadian TV, who just happens to be in the third chair tonight. Jim, tell us about your blog and what's going on. Well, I shouldn't probably talk about my blog because it's been a while since I've updated it. But I uh, do these ridiculous YouTube videos where I uh, try to work up my uh, scale model. Imagine if they talked about scale modeling on the sports talk show. That's what I'm trying to do and, um, and work out my comedy routine. And I just hit episode 40. I can't believe that I, one, have done 40, that anybody's watched them. Uh, and then I've also got a blog that I need to work back up. And, and one of the things I'm thinking about doing as time goes on is working in a little bit more historical stuff. So the next video I drop uh, might be his, uh, history instead of modeling. And while we're here, I'm going to say... Absolutely check out Chris Wallace, the model airplane maker's uh, cockpit painting video. I thought it was awesome. It was. It was. Uh, Don't you have a show coming up, uh, Jim? 
Oh, well, then I'm going to switch hats and stop being the crazy sports talk guy. Uh, yes. So I am a member of a non-affiliated club called the Northwest Scale Modelers. We are based out of the Museum of Flight in Seattle. And uh, I was, uh, it's not the Boeing Museum of Flight. People love to call it that. It is a private entity. And our club does two shows there. And I am now in charge of the mini show, at least this year, if not forever, which is November 20th. And what we're going to have is probably 20 modelers building and displaying. If anybody is interested in joining us, we still have space available. Shoot me a message at rcaflawyerpilot uh, at gmail.com. And if you're looking for more information about our uh, show, you can look at Northwest Scale Modelers, mwsm.club. And that's our website. It has lots of good information. But our big event is in February. And Tim just told me the other day, I guess we just call it our big our February show. Um, and that is where we have somewhere between 1,000 and 3,000 models on display. We have seminars. We have builders. And that's a whole weekend in February, and I hope I can uh, come talk about that. I was informed just this week that uh, the aforesaid Too Tall Tim runs that show, and I was expecting to take over, and I thought it'd be 2023, but I guess I'm on the hook for 2022. So don't speak up. You end up with big jobs like running shows. Now, Jim, that that show in February it's a little bit different than what most people think of as a model show. It's in a museum, kind of like Cincinnati was, with tables out everywhere, but there's not a contest other than picking like the direct one one award. There's only a single award, right? Yeah, the way it works in the February show is it's a display only. Um, we're trying to promote the hobby. It's our outreach. So we usually have... I would say average about 15 to 1800 models. That's a normal number. We have uh, modelers building. We have occasionally in the past, we've had a make and take, but I think the museum's doing that now. And we have seminars and it's just to teach people about this. There is one award. It's the curator's choice. And as I tell everybody, if you want to win that, build something really big that's built by Boeing. That's the only way it can happen. So if you've got, you know, a one thirty second scale B-29, you're golden, you're in. Um, and that's determined by the curators, uh, which uh, this year's theme of our show is we're doing an F8 uh, Crusader display. And that's the suck up to the curator award because our new curator at the museum is a huge F8 fan. And uh, we thought we'd curry favor by him. He's also a modeler, but we thought we'd curry favor with him by showing up with a whole bunch of F8 Crusaders. So if you got any gunfighters, bring them in. Isn't everybody an F8 fan? Shouldn't you be? I mean... When you're out of FH, you're out of fighters. It's no starfighter, eh? <laughs> oh, please. <laughs> and and yes, no, it is not a contest. There are no vendors, though Skyway Hobby is within very close driving distance of the museum and will even uh, give you directions. Well, finally, as usual, I would like you to, if you're not a member of your national IPMS chapter, IPMS USA or IPMS Canada, if you would please consider joining the national organization, IPMS New Zealand, IPMS Australia, IPMS Norway, wherever you happen to be listening to us, um, the national organizations do a lot of good. 
And a lot of it's behind the scenes and people don't realize it. Uh, it's a great investment for your money. It's a great way to connect with other modelers. And um, if you do that, Jim and I would both appreciate it because uh, Jim's an officer in IPMS Canada um, with my job as recruitment and retention secretary for IPMS USA. Any member who joins, I'm, I'm more than happy. Well, all right. Let's take a break here and have a word from our sponsor. Plastic Model Mojo is now brought to you by Model Paint Solutions, your source for harder Steenbeck airbrushes, David Union power tools, and laboratory-grade mixing, measuring, and storage tools for use with all your model paints, be they acrylic, enamels, or lacquers. Check them out at www.modelpaintsolutions.com. It's Wagons Ho for Omaha, Dave and Jim. Yeehaw! Yeehaw, that's right. At the time of this recording, we are 262 days away the 2022 IPMS National Convention in Omaha, Nebraska. Still not a lot of news report other than uh, online registration starts February 1st, 2022. I hope you guys got your rooms. I know we got ours. How'd you do, Jim? Did you get a room? Yeah, I got a room. I think I'm in the Marriott. Um, My problem is my Conestoga wagon needs a little bit of an overhaul, but I'm working on that. But I'm going to be heading east and that just seems wrong. Uh, I was going to ask, is it too early to start packing the car? (laughs) Yeah, I think it's probably too early to pack the car. You can sort out your dunnage, though. (laughs) Yeah, I'm I'm telling you what, I am that anxious to go back to Omaha. The last two shows there were each fantastic. It just, coming off the high of Vegas, I cannot wait to get back to Omaha. Well, to keep up with the preliminaries, folks can go to www.ipmsusa2022.com. That's the uh, convention website. Not a lot of news still yet. It's still early and we don't want to overdo it, but uh, we're all getting excited about it. I'll tell you from the podcast point of view, um, sounds like uh, it's going to be a big time for all of us. Almost everybody's going to have a representative there, assuming the Australians are able to break out of jail. And the Canadians. And the Canadians. We may have to send rescue te- uh, hostage rescue teams in to, to extract them. Well, let's hope for the best. And uh, still a lot of, a lot of water to go into the bridge. And hopefully uh, we'll have as good a time as we had in Vegas. Yep, absolutely. And Mike, you and I have tanks we better get working on. No crap. <laughs> I've I haven't even started mine. Well, I haven't either. I haven't started either. So, hey, Mike's got a Gundam to finish first. Yeah, no, no kidding. Thanks for reminding me of that. (laughs) Mike, uh, what does your uh, what's your bench top look like? Well, I tell you, it's been a bad couple of weeks to be a tool on my workbench. Uh-huh. Well, well, there was a tool at your workbench, so there's probably Uh, a tool. Thanks for that. You're welcome. So why why has it been a bad idea to be a tool on your workbench? Oh, last week I came down. I was I was working on something. I need my digital calipers, which just happened to be sitting out on the bench. And I pick them up, and they're soaking wet. That's not good. They're not supposed to be wet, man. No, and uh, I took them apart and dried them out real good. And it was acting like the battery was dead, so I went and got a new battery and. Uh, that didn't fix the problem, so they're trashed, unfortunately. Why were they wet? I have no idea. I don't know if a drink glass condensate got on it, or maybe they had some help by one of the uh, munchkins around here. Ah, uh, not not sure what happened there, but uh, they're toast. So, and it wasn't my it wasn't my crappy Harbor Freight pair either. Is my good ones? Oh, 
Yeah, so yeah, I've just got the crappy Harbor Freight ones, but you know what? They they'll they'll, they'll work. They work. They they and it, and you know what? If they die, I go over and Harbor Freight. I can walk to a Harbor Freight from my house, and so I can go replace them with another pair really inexpensively, especially if you get the thirty percent off coupon. The other one's easier to fix. I wrecked the fine tip on my Badger one fifty again. <laughs> How many times have you done that now? Oh, collectors, since I've had a Badger 150? I don't know. <laughs> since I've been podcasting twice. <laughs> See, I need to circle back here. Dave, why do you need digital calipers? Because occasionally I will do things like cut circle masks with my thinner line circle cutter. And now that I have an engineer, I can rely on to remind me of what the formula is uh, for cutting that uh, circle mask. Uh, The digital calipers come in handy when I'm doing masks for, uh, say, wheel hubs or stuff like that. And I'm measuring crap all the time. Well, I understand the engineer. It's just us liberal arts guys don't need digital calipers. I use them occasionally. It's not like uh, it. I will admit that occasionally when I have to break them out, I have to blow the dust off off the case. I'm also scared by something you said that included the word formula. And unless you're talking about baby food, I don't want to hear it. (laughs) (laughs) Not sure you want to hear that. either. No, I don't want to hear it either way. That's a good point. Yeah, my, Mike is my math crutch. Oh, I bet. Well, uh, uh, another thing I've done in in uh, in the bench area is I got a low temperature dehumidifier for the Mojo Dojo, and uh, I tell you, it's, something's happened over the last couple of seasons, and my basement's been noticeably more damp over the last couple of fall winter cycles, and uh, it's been running about sixty seven Fahrenheit in the basement and about fifty five percent relative humidity, which is kind of crappy. Yeah. Uh, now I've got this uh, home brand that this the brand is home. Uh, yeah. Low temp dehumidifier. And, and now it's like 73 Fahrenheit and about uh, 35% RH down here. The, the, the dojo is feeling, feeling rather balmy now. Kind of nice down here. So if you're, if you're in a basement by choice or by relegation, a good purchase. If you think it's a little damp down there, it's, it's, it's damn nice. Now back on the modeling front about the only thing I've gotten accomplished is I found a way to do these paper labels on the inside lids of the the two open ammo boxes for the Zistu project. That's been kind of working out kind of well. So, Yeah, t- go ahead and d- describe in a little more detail. You've got two ammo boxes and the lids are open. And apparently on the inside of that lid was... A pasted paper label. Okay. Well, what, what, the, what was it? Like some S- sort of... S- instru- information. Yeah, just okay. some information. Uh, so... My option was just to paint it on there and put the decal right over it with all the wood grain. I didn't think that was going to look too good. So what I did was I took some 5,000 styrene, the really thin stuff from Evergreen, which is still over scale for a piece of paper, right? Right. Even in 35th scale. Uh, but anyway, I thought it would probably be okay. And I just grabbed, I cut it to size and I grabbed it by the tweezers just on the very corner. And I'd completely buttered it up with, to me, extra thin cement. I mean, it was like dripping off the corner. That's how much I put on there. Yeah. Then I placed it on there and I let it sit and it kind of conformed to the, the, the boards, the, you know, the planks of the, of the, uh, the ammo box lid and not so much of the wood grain came through. And I actually think it came out pretty, pretty darn good. 
so so now what's left to do is just to paint those, which I've done. I've I've mixed up an off white and I painted the painted the painted those patches of styrene off white, and they'll get they'll get a decal right on top of it. There you go, paper yeah. label, paper label. There there you go, and they, though, there are tons of boxes and crates, the military boxes and crates that have those type of things, you know, on the inside inside lid. So that's a nice little tip. So other than that and breaking tools, that's about all I got. Wait a minute. There's one more thing you did that tortured, a t- you you intentionally tortured a tool. And I think that this was a rather interesting uh, uh, interesting use of, of a broken tool. And that being? You took an old ex- um, oh. aluminum exacto handle. Oh, you're, t- you're, you're talking about my obsolete exacto hand- handles getting used for lathe practice. <laughs> not much to tell there really so the, so the tools when you approach the bench the tools are afraid because they know if they don't <laughs> if they don't conform they might find themselves chucked into a lathe or broken or turned into chips so there you go so again other than recovering from broken tools and uh my one little project there on the ammo boxes that's about it and Let's go to Jim next. Jim, what do you got going on? Oh, man, I am not living life well. Uh, about two, three weeks ago, hockey season started, and I made the mistake of buying ESPN Plus, and I am just sitting on the couch watching hockey rather than modeling and haven't felt much mojo to get there, and then it kind of hit me over the weekend. So I pulled out about every started kit. So there's so many things on my desk right now, as uh, Dave had mentioned earlier. And what I'm realizing is I think when I get to the end of a project, I lose interest in it. And then I want to find something else. Like, I think I'm more of a construction guy than a finishing guy. So what I need to go do is box everything up and focus on my tiny Razor Crest, my T3485, and my F8F Bearcat. Get those done, and then I can pull all the other cool things I want to build, like a Sabre or a Lancaster or a Piper Cub, uh, pull those out and do those at that point. Well, you you know, on the plus side, Jim likes to emphasize his negatives, not his positives. On the positive side... You finished a model recently. In fact, uh, I think you you featured it on the last episode of Scale Canadian TV, right? I did. Um, I got uh, an ICM Firebee to do through IPMS USA, which it's going to be a review for them. And I finished that last week. And it was a little bit of a test bed for the Tamiya LP lacquers. I have uh, long uh, rhapsodized about LP11. And I got to try their, I think it was their flat red or their gloss red. I forget what it was. And it was really nice. And I've always struggled with spraying red. And I actually put it over gray primer and didn't have too thick a coat. It was great. So where this is leading to is I'm going to need a Canadian trainer in the queue soon. As we'll see how Tamiya's lacquer painto uh, yellow works because the red was nice. I've also got some whites to try, so it's going to be some more experimenting. But yeah, Firebee, nice kit. Uh, Very cool. There has been uh, some shade thrown at me that I only built it because I didn't have to mask a canopy, and that is 100% true. Um, Listen, you say that like it's a bad thing. I'm there with you, brother. I feel you. Uh, Now, that's what, number three for you for the year? Yes, it's number three. And it's another one of these models. And I find out the stuff I finish, and this is going to tie in all kinds of stuff we've talked about, is 
I was first inspired to build a RCAF Fire B, which is what I marked it up as, due to a IPMS Canada RT issue that I picked up in a hobby shop in Ottawa called Hobby House, probably in the 80s. And it was nice to finally have a cool uh, Fire B kit to be able to finally do this all these years later. Well, Dave, what are you up to? Well, uh, five five nine on a good day. Now, on my bench, uh, the mosquitoes moving along. I'm decaling uh, after some initial difficulties. I'm in the groove. Uh, the decal should be on. Speaking of which, it raises an interesting question. When I decal, I always decal horizontal to the plane of gravity so that if I'm decaling an air uh, an aircraft, it will require a minimum of four decaling sessions, one for everything on the top of the aircraft, one on the left side, one on the bottom, and one on the right side. So the for me, the, the process of decaling kind of slows me down a little bit because, you know, unless I happen to get four straight sessions, one a night and all of the decals go down perfectly and I have to, don't have to go back and, and, you know, do any remedial work on any of them for silvering or whatever, that's at least a four night stretch. Now, when I get into realistic modeling times, decaling a model for me can take a week and a half, two weeks easy, just from the fact that you have, or at least I feel like the decals go down better if you decal horizontal to the plane of gravity. So that's what I've been doing on the Mosquito. Uh, uh, It just got flipped over onto its right side and the decals are going down and they're actually working really well. The ones on the other side of the fuselage were not quite as easy and took me a couple of nights to to get, uh, get them where I wanted them. And in addition to that, on the TU-128, uh, I bought those res kit wheels, and I now have them all painted and assembled. And I'm going to do for my blog and the face the clubs or the uh, listener Facebook page uh, a comparison of the Armory aftermarket wheel set with the res kit aftermarket wheel set spoiler alert there is no question that the res kit ones are better but you'll get to see that when i do the article and post photos but uh while i'm not making as much progress as i want and while i'm worried that my modeling dark time comes up because i rarely get stuff done between thanksgiving and the new year uh, I'm I'm making progress, and I'm hoping that I can uh, hoping that I can uh, get something over the line because Jim has embarrassed me by finishing a model. Dude, you shouldn't be embarrassed by a guy who's finished three. But hey, it's more than the one I finished. Well, yeah, that's true. And the none I've finished. Yeah, I was going to ask, um, what did you did you get the uh, roundel to go over the raised area on the mosquito? Or does your mosquito not have that raised area on the fuselage? No, has that rate. In fact, that's the side I'm doing now. Yeah. And I got the roundel to go right over it. And boy, it went down beautifully. I mean, I was a little doubtful when I put it on last night. In fact, you and I were talking uh, when when I was doing that. Mm. Um, and I was watching the Kraken hockey game. And you, I think, were watching the Habs get their heads yeah. stoved in. Exactly. Uh, and, and man, it. 
it could not have gone down over that little ridge any better. It adhered to the point where I don't have to go back and do any any follow-up work. Whose decals? The decals are Eagle Edition decals, and I don't know who prints them. I don't know if they're cartograph or uh, uh, you know super scale or whoever. But gosh, they're beautiful. They super thin, very opaque, uh, and man, they conformed like nobody's business over that high ridge, which which had me quite concerned. That's cool. I think I've got one of their sheets for a different mosquito, so that'll be exciting to get to them someday. Speaking of bench tops, we ran into a club member named Ed Tackett at Cincinnati, and he's got some stuff for your bench top to organize your tools and paints and stuff. So let's hear what he had to say. Well, Dave, we've got a club member here joining us, but he's got something special going on. Introduce our guest here. Go ahead. Uh, my name is Ed Tackett, and uh, I'm a member of the uh, Military Modeler Club of Louisville, and uh, I really hate disorganized workbenches. <laughs> so much so that you have ventured into the cottage model industry. Uh, tell us what you did. So I, uh, I try to solve problems on the workbench. Um, I design, engineer, and 3D print organizational and helper aids for the hobby industry so paint racks paint racks tool holders tool holders glue bottle holders glue bottle stabilizers Stabilizers, yes (laughs) how how many times have we all reached across our bench and knocked over the glue bottle and not only do you pay for the glue bottle you also pay for the cutting mat that you dissolved your way through and sometimes the kit you you also pay for the kit yeah yeah i've uh, never done that no and uh on saturday night you're working on your bottle and you knock over your bottle of microsol in the middle of doing decaling and the model shop doesn't open on monday and so we develop products to solve those issues. So basically what you do is you make these things for the model bench and then you you design them in CAD? Yes. And yes. then 3D print them. And then we 3D print them. And sometimes they have other accessories. Like we have some of them that have ball bearings in so that you can move them easier. Or they have uh, clips that would be like uh, alligator clips or smooth jaw clips. So we're really looking for things that make the job of modeling easier. So everybody's done the the ocean of road wheels yeah right and how do you hold them how do you fixture them more importantly how do you get them into your airbrush booth and then how do you let them dry and so we have a device called the octo for that and we can do eight eight road wheels at a time it has a bearing in it it's easy to spin it's easy to use in an airbrush booth it's just it's just it was easier for me i got tired i put i put my road wheels first time i ever did them and my first tank i did road wheels on was a panther um, so I went into the deep end of the pool right away, yes. <laughs> and uh, I, sure. I did the foam and the toothpick thing, and I got them all painted, and they were drying, and it promptly fell over. Uh, so I said, well, let's solve that problem. And we get a lot of emails from, from users, uh, and they'll say, I have, a, I have a gentleman, for example, that is, uh, he has a site problem, and he asked, if, if could you guys print... Um, a holder for a specific type of paint he uses, but I need it in a really bright color. So how did you get into 3D printing? So um, back in 1992. Oh, wow. Yeah, I've been 3D printing for over 30 years. I worked at a uh, university 
and uh, a large corporation had a 3D printer that they couldn't make work. So they gave it to the university, and my director at the time said, Ed, it's got a computer in it, so you know how to use a computer, so figure out how to use it. And I've been doing 3D printing since. No, I've, wow. done, I've done 3D printing on aircraft restoration. Yeah. Right? Laser scanning. We scanned the parts. I did the I did the tail gear section for a Nakajima Zero. The only flying example. It was out of Seattle. Um, and I print I print in titanium. I print in Inconel. And this is just something I'm very familiar with 3D printing technology. I know how to make the designs specifically for 3D printing. Right? And in, in the model industry, unless, if you're a Tamiya, you have injection molding, right? Right. And you're going to go and buy a $600,000 tool, and you're going to make plastic products, and you're going to push them into the marketplace. Um, with the amount of new products that are coming out, they're coming out so fast, Nobody's nobody really is doing any of that and making those types of fixtures and tools to make life, se- life easier. That's kind of where I'm at. So, now, you... You actually, unlike somebody who may master in 3D and then use the 3D printed item as a master to make a mold and do manufacture in resin or whatever, all of your products are actually 3D printed items themselves. They're not from a 3D master, but they're... No, 3D printed themselves. Is it economical to do that? It, it is because um, yes. So so you know you have to kind of do the cost justification. You have to look at how many products do we think we're going to sell. Now whether you go to a silicone tool on that, or do you go to like a resin cast tool, or do you go to an injection molding tool? I'd love to be a big enough company to have injection molding machines running all the time, uh, but that's not this industry. Right, we're not. I don't see that type of uptake in the industry. Gotcha. Uh, and if we need if we need to change the design, you know, and we've all bought kits and we find a an error on the kit, and the reason the vendors don't change that is because it's super expensive to change a tool. Right. All I really have to do is just go in and change the design in my CAD software, and I can print a new version the same day. Well, and, and the funny funny you mentioned that because you were just pointing out to me at your table, you had been selling a paint rack that holds the dropper style Vallejo style models and you made a you you had designed and printed that rack and then you made a modification a slight quick modification that then makes those racks nest against each other so that you basically can have an inf- a rack of infinite length yes and that's a that's an on the fly modification that between the contest, the MMCL contest right. a month and a half ago and here today. Right. Well, we introduced three new products at this show. Which were? Uh, the uh, Microsol Micro Solution Holder yeah. with integrated two integrated brush holders. Yeah. Uh, we also have the new shader uh, holder. Okay. So for the new mid right. shaders, the problem with it here at the show is the shaders really haven't hit the retail market all the way yet. Yeah. But we already have a rack built for them. And, and that actually came from a club member. They emailed me and they say, hey, I bought a bunch of these shaders. They're all over my workbench. Can you? Can we do something? And within a matter of a day, day and a half, I had a first article prototype done. And then the other one, obviously, was the paint holders. Yeah. Well, what I like about your paint holders, the Vallejo ones, is they, compared to like the, the laser cut MDF ones, they have a much smaller footprint. Yes. Some of that laser cut 
MDF stuff takes up so much space on the workbench. Yeah. Well, well Ed, where can you find your products? So we have a website. It's uh, tacketz.com, T-A-C-K-E-T-Z.com. Uh, we're online, quick shipping. Uh, all of our products are online there. And you can, and if you're if you're a wholesaler, if you're a hobby store, we have a link to hobby stores. So we also wholesale through our website to hobby stores. Great. All right. Well, we wish you all the luck, and thanks for stopping by and having a word with us. All right. Thank you, guys. All right. You take care. Yeah, his stuff is good, um, uh, Jim. You might go look at his website. Okay. Uh, is he just doing cause... like the glue stands and everything? He's doing glue stands, paint stands uh, of different sizes. Uh, he's got some really nice modular paint stands for the Vallejo-type bottles. I don't find the need to have paint stands. Like, I've, I I never struggle. Maybe it's because I use the Tamiya paint, but I don't struggle knocking paint over. Yeah. It Now, testers, pink label bottles of liquid cement, the amount of those I've knocked over in my lifetime, yikes. But take a look at his stuff. He's got some really neat uh, 3D printed stuff. Well, guys, it's time for phase and yawns now. All right. Well, I'm I'm anxious with Jim here to hear what uh, some of his faves and yawns are. <laughs> well, who's going first? Jim, start with a fave. Wow, I should have prepared better for this. I'm trying to think of things that are recent. I guess the most exciting thing, and, and Dave, you're going to cry when you hear this, the most exciting thing for me recently has been that I'm hearing Kinetic is going to do a 148 scale CF-104. And they've done a couple 104s that I hear are nice kits, but this is the first time it's been a CF-104 in their range. Nice. I know, it's double scale. I can't talk about it, but hey, it's got a maple leaf on it. We, we I was going to say, we make exception for maple leaves. <laughs> And you can like it and not be in your preferred scale. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah. cool, cool release you know is going to be popular. Right. Dave, you got a fave? Yes, I do. Our friends over at Copper State Models found a niche, created a niche all by themselves that really has taken off of late. And that is the 35th scale World War I armored car. They've done a bunch of them, and that's caused some other manufacturers to do them. And now there are, gosh, I bet you there's at least a dozen or more different 35th scale armored cars from World War One that you can do. One of the things that Copper State is doing now is they're taking their 35th scale kits and scaling them down. And so you're going to be able to do the World War One armored cars in 72nd scale. And uh, uh, they've announced their Italian armored car, the 1ZM which is a neat-looking, funky armored car. Uh, it, it's the first release uh, in their 72nd scale line, so I'm anxious to see it. And Jim's first yawn is there's this company out there, Copper State, and they've been doing these 48 or 35th scale armored cars, and they've announced they're doing 72nd scale ones, and they're leading off with the Italian armored car? Come on, start with the Canadian armored car. <laughs> Uh, Jim's Canadian prejudice is throwing showing through. Absolutely, eh? Mike, what what's your fave? Oh, it's that mini art early Stug 3G. The modeling news is on their third post about that kit, and yeah, I'm going to be buying that. <laughs> How many new Stugs have been announced in the last six months? Like a half a dozen. I know. Do you have any idea what has caused Stug mania? <laughs> 
No, it's just they, they ran out of Panthers and Tigers. They're on the next great thing, man. <laughs> <laughs> I don't care. It's going to be, it's all good. Because, you know, the, the dragon ones are hit or miss, and maybe these will be too. I don't know. But uh, they, they just posted the sprues for this on the modeling news this week. So it's it's a, it's a definite buy for me. Go find me a deal, man, because I'm sure it won't be cheap. What kind of deal? Deal, deal. <laughs> <laughs> I made him say it. All right, Jim, what's your, what's your next fave? Uh, I think for my next fave, I'm going to go with uh, Airfix's Wellington Mark II. This is the first time we have had a Merlin engine Wellington in injection molded plastic. Yep. And I've got, I think it was a Modelcraft frog kit that came with some resin conversion parts. Yeah. And, and maybe Special Hobby did one, but it's just nice to see a buildable Merlin engine wellington and i actually think it's the prettier of the wellingtons i agree with you and uh, you know you can get rid of you you can get rid of that model craft kit now don't keep it around get rid of it when something better comes along it's long gone my next fave is a this this one is a fave not only for me but uh it's it's one that hopefully will inspire mike Tacom has announced the 15 centimeter twin turret secondary armament for the Bismarck in 72nd scale. As you know, they did the Bismarck main turret, uh, released the main turret, and now they're releasing the uh, secondary armament. And the secondary armament was much closer to the uh, to the catapult on the on the Bismarck. I, I mentioned that for no particular reason at all. It's not now I have to build a third of the ship to get to the catapult. <laughs> no, no, no more than fifteen or twenty percent max. Okay, well, we'll see. Well, I've got another one. All right, and this one's kind of off the wall. I I don't know if it's a, if it's one I would buy and build, but did you guys see the? The CAD for Border Models 35th Scale Yunkers 87 G1 G2. Yes. Oh, holy crap. <laughs> if, 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 it live, if it lives up to those renderings, oh, man. What do you think, Jim? I think it's awesome other than the whole 35th scale thing is kind of weird. It is. I, I grant you that. But, Considering they're adding, they're adding a 32nd scale bomber to their lineup. Yeah, but yeah, if they can pull that off in plastic... Man, I'd like to see what they could do in a more, you know, 48th or 32nd. One one of the things I was kind of thinking about the other day is with with looking at that and the uh, surface detail on the Lancaster makes me wonder if it's just a lot easier to pull off in 32nd scale than it is in, say, 48 or especially 72. Oh, the oil oil canning yeah, stuff? The oil canning and the rivets and the lap joints, because, you know, Edward did a lap joint on their Hellcat in 72, which at the time blew me away. Uh, but yeah, just some of the surface detail we're seeing in 32nd is stunning. I agree. So I don't know. It's it's a tank buster. So, you know, I think it makes more sense for the Stuka than it did for the Messerschmitt 109. Yeah, I agree with that. That that probably does. Yeah, I just I dread that they'll do like a Hawker Hurricane, and we'll finally get a good Hurricane. Only it'll be in thirty fifth instead of thirty second. Well, but if you build it standalone, it doesn't really matter, does it? I guess that's true. Any more faves from you guys? Uh, the only other one I was going to throw out is Zvezda has reissued their C one thirty as a stretched C one thirty J 
which a lot of Canadian and British and Air National Guard modelers will appreciate. Yes. I'm not a big fan of the, the, the Hercs with the scimitar blades, but or the stretched Hercs. I'm a more C-130H kind of guy, but I think that'll be a popular with a lot of people. Dave, I suspect our yawns are the same, so I want to I want to let you do that, and then I'm going to come back after you, after you're done. I'm going to pick up one more fave because it's got a lot of a lot of content around it. So I don't I don't think that your yawns are the same. What's your yawn, Dave? Uh, Fly is reissuing their Fiat G50 uh, in 72nd scale, and listen, I have nothing against this kit. This is a you know Fly is a good company. This kit is a good kit. But SBS had released a series of G, Italian G50s uh, in 72nd scale. And frankly, I'm not sure. And these are in resin. And I'm not sure that any injection molded kit is going to be better than what SBS has released. So while I'm happy that Fly has released it, it's, uh, it's kind of a yawn for me. Jim, you got a yawn? Well, sort of. My first one is I've said I'm not buying another kit again until Omaha. So that means (laughs) I've made a very bad choice. But my real one, uh, and and yes, four weeks, I have not bought a kit. Um, Yay. But the other one is something that Stephen Lee brought up today. He posted a resin 72nd scale ferret armor car. And my yawn is we don't have a ferret armored car in injection plastic in either 72 or 35th. And I just don't understand it. We need that. I, I tend to rant we need a 72nd scale Centurion, but I think we need a ferret in plastic first. I agree. I, I'm amazed that there isn't one. Yeah, I, I, I think there's a couple like short run resin from the UK or Wargamer ones in resin from the UK, but I just want a plastic one. Well, I've got one more fave. All right. And uh, it is One Man Army, and they're 32nd scale aircraft stencils and mass sets. And I think this guy's onto something. You tell people what that is and, and that you've got some and actually have looked at them. Well, these were announced on the modeling news, and they are for 32nd scale aircraft kits, they're, they're full marking sets and stencil sets. The, his sets, you get all the national insignia and the numbers, and then you get the the fine stenciling that's all over an aircraft, typically. His name's Sven. He's from Belgium, and it's an aptly named company because he's the only guy doing it, and he's he's under the gun to get a lot of stuff out, and it's really taking up a lot of his time because, like I said, I reached out because I was trying to get him on the show. And instead, he sent me some uh, some samples. He sent me some complete sets and then some sample packs, which we'll get to in a second. Again, they're, they're, they're mass sets for the national insignia, the numbers, and the, the fine stenciling. They're done in the, uh, the washi paper, the rice paper, the kabuki tape, whatever you want to call it. It's yeah. all the same thing. I suspect they're laser cut. They're really finely done, especially the, the small stuff, the, you know, the small stenciling. What we want to do is he sent me some, some complete sets and some samples, and we're going to have our first giveaway, Dave, for Plastic Model Mojo in honor of our 50th episode. All right. So what I've got to give away is uh, I've got two complete sets. We're going to have uh, multiple drawing here, and the winner will get his choice of uh, BF109 G6 or the F4F-4 Wildcat set. And again, those are complete marking masking sets for the national insignia and, and the small stencils. 
the first place winner gets the choice of the G6 109 or the Wildcat. The second place winner gets the one not selected by the first place winner. And then the third and fourth place winners will get the uh, the, sam- the two sample packs I have available. And those sample packs include five different small stencils. So it really gets to the meat and potatoes of this this system that he's developed here. So you'll get to play around with the, the smallest of the markings in these sets. You're going to want to listen carefully here. So to get in on this, if you want in on it, send us an email to plasticmodelmojo at gmail.com. Now that's an email, not a Facebook message, not a text message, not a, hey, Mike, I'm your buddy. You should have known I wanted to be in on this kind of deal. So please send us an email to plasticmodelmojo at gmail.com. Please put one man army in the subject line so I know that it's for this drawing. And then please put your name and geography in the body of of the email. And uh, we'll go from there. The winners will be selected at random and we'll announce these in episode 52. So these are some really cool sets and I'm sure some 30 second scale aircraft guys will love to get their hands on them and give them a try. Cause I think uh, right now in vogue is, is to paint your own ma- markings. Right. And yep. Yep. especially in 30 second scale. Yeah. Well, if you're going to do that and you're still going to do the stenciling right now, you're still stuck with doing decals for the stencils, which kind of, Defeats the purpose. De- defeats the purpose. Right, right. right. So, so that's why I think he's onto something. And these things are really nice. I've had them in hand. I, I'm, I've, I'm highly confident they'll work as he, he says they will. We're going to put these into the hands of some winners here and let you folks give them, give them a try. That's great. All right. Well, our special segment tonight is hanging with the scale Canadian, which we've been doing for a little bit of time here. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and to, to give a little, little more meat to this, uh, it's kind of a, I want to kick off a new segment here for the show and it's not going to be a, a recurring segment. We're going to have a couple more over the next few episodes and it's, you know, we don't just build models, uh, in this hobby, we, we build lasting friendships and Jim, I know you and Dave have got one for the long haul and we've become good friends too. Uh, I think it's one of the things that, uh, this hobby it's one of the more enjoyable things other than actual building scale models that it, this hobby has to offer. Well, I might say it might be more enjoyable, but uh, yeah, it's, it's amazing to have a hobby where we build these friendships and, you know, some of them I've known Dave, it feels like forever. We still don't know where we met. Um, and then there's people that, that I meet, I met um, Scott of, of the plastic posse for the first time in person in, um, Las Vegas. And I already felt that he was a friend and I haven't even met him. So it's amazing that we have this community. And really, that's what it's all about, because it's a pretty boring life if you're just sitting around building models alone. It's nice to have a group of people to talk with them and and brainstorm ideas and have all these dreams and talk about future projects. And, and it's pretty awesome. As a group, what has amazed me is, in general how good a group of people modelers are. I mean, I'm sure we have all run into that one one character who, you know, for whatever reason, insists on going through life angry or upset or whatever. But in general, modelers are a great group of people. And I think I've said it a couple of times here, is when I've run into listeners in person because we're both modelers, we already have a pre, pre-agreed set of interests, and so we kind of have a common language. And it's amazing how quickly 
you sit down and talk with some person that you've either never met or you've exchanged a couple of emails or a couple of Facebook messages or something on some, you know, obscure modeling topic. And then when you meet in person, you're off to the races. I mean, it's two minutes of, of uh, uh, introductions and then 15, 20, 30 minutes. Oh, the example is Mark Sprayberry down in, in Panama City Beach. Uh, you know, I just happened to be down there on vacation. He happened to live down there and listen. We met for, uh, you know, at a coffee shop. And an hour and a half later, you know, you look up and an hour and a half has passed and you don't realize it because you bounce from topic to topic to topic and not always model related. Uh, he works in the airline industry, so does my wife. And so it's amazing how much you just bounce around. And and modelers are, are generally just pretty darn good people. And that's cool. Yeah, what... I don't want to get negative, but one of the things that drives me nuts, and this is online, offline, is you hear all these stories. Oh, I went to an IPMS meeting, and you happen to run into the one a-hole in the club. You yes, know? yes. And and it makes me so nuts that that becomes what a lot of people's perception is, and they don't get to have the ability to have the good relationships. Because, yeah, there's a few big jerks out there who's going to turn you off, but that is not the majority of models. In fact, yeah. it's a minority, but if you listen, you know, through stories or online, it's the majority. And I wish we could flip that narrative to look at the positive rather than the couple jerks. Because yeah. you know, there's jerks in modeling, there's jerks in sports, there's jerks in every area of life. And let's not give them air and build the positive. Oh, and and I know I, I, in in club after club, I know that all these clubs they have the one guy or the one or two guys, and the the new guy comes in, and the 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 rest of the club is in fear that they're going to get buttonholed by the one or two guys that are are cranks and and ruin the guys impression of the club and ability to come back and and desire to come back so yeah no there there are people just like in in any human endeavor there are people out there who aren't as pleasant but as a group i've got to say i think modelers are above average in being good guys yeah, the other thing that I have noticed is we have a Tuesday uh, group of modelers that get together and we get together at Dr. Strange Brush's secret lair and talk some modeling. And then we go out to lunch and both before the pandemic and for a while when we had a little more opening up here, it's interesting to be with a group of men, four or five guys, and a lot of the men coming in, coming in to the restaurant and trying to find a reason to have a conversation with us or to, because they're trying to figure out why is there a group of guys hanging out together? We don't see that as much. And I think there's a lot of, a lot of guys who feel pretty isolated. So it's nice to have a group of people you can talk modeling. And as you said, non-modeling as well. And, and well, I'll tell you a big example of that, that hit me from Vegas was uh, sitting around with all the Septemberists in in our hotel room drinking beer and bourbon, which may have helped. <laughs> um, and honest to God, you know, we've got 
two doctors, three lawyers, an engineer, a logistics special, and we're bouncing from topic to topic and just having the grandest of times. And, you know, those are the, those are the, the, the evenings that you remember warmly long afterward. Well, and that's that's something that that I've been trying to say with regard to the Nationals is I think a lot of people and there's been a lot of discussion after the Nationals that focus on judging. And I'm just not a part of that. That just doesn't exist in my world. I don't care. Um, It's it's a plastic toy. I know for some people it's important. If it is, that's cool. But what they're missing is it's not the judging it's not, did you win? It's sitting around, hanging out with your buds and having a good time. And I yeah. wish more people would see that as the positive rather than the anger of, well, I won or somebody else shouldn't have won or blah, blah, blah. Just enjoy the relationships. I completely agree. Well, Dave, we've told our story on here several times and we've 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 heard your and Jim's story a couple of times. And, and I just want to use this as a kickoff because there's a couple other modeling friendships out there among some of the other podcasters that I'm going to be bringing onto the show, hearing their story and uh, their journey is how they became good friends from this hobby. So I just think it's a, it's a really cool thing. And, and I think Jim, you're right. I think that's, I think we all go through that contest thing and we get to a point where it doesn't matter so much anymore. And we really appreciate all the, all the peripheral stuff around it instead. Yeah. And uh, I think that's a good point. Yeah, I have I have an overwhelming memory of sitting in the bar with Dave at Omaha, I think it was, and a Canadian modeler um, named Will walks in and says, every time I'm in this bar, you're here. And I'm like, well, number one, I'm a lawyer. I've never passed a bar in my life. But number <laughs> two is, dude, every time I'm here, you're here, you know, so... It's it's fun and and that's somebody I've seen a few times at model shows and it's just fun to even have that camaraderie with somebody who's not a close friend who you see once a year. Uh, it's just it's it's fun to have all these different relationships and it's been through modeling and you know I've never won at a nationals but I've had a great time every time. Literally, if I list my best friends in the world, pretty much without exception, they're all modelers. Just because they're the closest friendships I have, the people I interact with the most, the, some of the best people I know. And, you know, it's, 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 uh, maybe popular right now to denigrate social media and, and, uh, the internet and technology and all, but there is a plus side. I mean, we've got f- friends in Canada and, England and Australia, you know, people that there is no way I would have ever interacted with were it not for this modeling community. And man, that's, that's awesome. It's added to my life, to my happiness. Well, expect a few more episodes with this work, this topic kind of worked in, we're going to talk to some more folks and, and it's just a, it's just a great thing. So we're going to move on now, Dave. So how's that beer working out for you? Uh, you know what? Uh, I am actually officially taking the last sip. It's really good. It's six percent alcohol by volume, so it's it's very mid beer. Uh, it's not something that'll kick you in the head. It's an ale, so it's not not hoppy. If you're if you don't like hops, uh, you know this is this is probably a beer you would enjoy. It's very smooth. It it doesn't knock Gumball Head off off the winner's uh, stand, but uh, you know, it's a very drinkable beer. Rogue's Dead Guy Ale. Yep, Rogue's Dead Guy Ale. 
Well, Jim, how's the Woodford working out for you? The Woodford's working out really well, though I have to say I have a level of jealousy because I think basil is my favorite of the bourbons. <laughs> and I don't get to, uh, you know, hang out with the cool, you know, underground Kentucky bourbon lifestyle. But uh, for me in Washington, the basil's the nicest I've tried yet. Well, I told somebody that would... I- who was it? Uh, Tony Choi. Yeah, he he's, he mentioned on the Facebook page the other night uh, that he had a bottle because I was talking about dark chocolate and bourbon, mm-hmm. and I told him it was a nice entry bourbon because it's it's eighty proof, it's not too hot, uh, it's smooth, it's got a good palate. It's a good one to if you're not a bourbon drinker and and are curious, it's a good place to start. Again, it's eighty proof. It's it's distilled not too far from here in Claremont, Kentucky. Sometimes in Frankfurt, it's, it's they got a couple of locations, but. Uh, yeah, it's a good one. And if it's your favorite, Jim, maybe we'll bring some with us to Omaha. Absolutely. Mike, you got a, a shout out of the month? Uh, I've got several. I'm going to start with Sven at One Man Army. Uh, Sven, I appreciate the correspondence and I, I appreciate the samples you sent us. That was a nice gesture. So hopefully with our little uh, our little drawing, we'll get those into some hands of some folks who will give them a shot and hopefully uh, drum up some business for you because I think you're onto something good. I agree. My shout out isn't a shout out, but it's a it's a plea out there. I recently acquired the Mobius Skipjack. There is a company called G Factor that makes an uh, aftermarket brass propeller for that kit. I've looked everywhere. I can't find it. Maybe some listener out there knows in their local hobby shop that there is uh, one of those things out there. If if you know where one is and uh, can hook me up, uh, I will be super appreciative. Shoot an email to us at our email address and let me know because I'd kind of like to get that, uh, get that brass propeller for that kit. Jim, you got one? I absolutely got one. I want to shout out to the Plastic Model Mojo and Episode oh, 50. Oh. <laughs> and, and by the way, they didn't pay me to say this. And I just really want to thank you guys for doing this and making the pandemic a little bit easier and giving us, uh, you know, getting to reach out and uh, hear you guys chat about stuff when life wasn't as easy as it had been in the past. And uh, just really thankful that you were here. And uh, thank you for doing this. And I can't believe you hit 50. Neither can we. Well, my next one is all our supporters out there who've made contributions in support of our show. We've got the PayPal link, the heart icon in the upper right-hand corner of your screen if you go to to, uh, PlasticModelMojo.com. And also we have a Patreon now. It's at www.patreon.com slash PlasticModelMojo. And we've gotten uh, a few subscribers there as well. And I'd like to thank uh, a few folks who've contributed lately, uh, primarily First up is uh, Philip Lafreniere from France, all the way from France. We've got a listener wow. in France, Dave. Is, is that donation in, in francs? Or, oh, no, wait. I guess it's euros they're, now. They're on the euro, but it's not. It's, right. it's in dollars. And uh, I'm kidding. <laughs> Philip, it's funny. I've Counting him, we'll say he's a friend now. We got I got three friends in France, and they're all named Philip. <laughs> <laughs> what are the odds of that? Yeah. Uh, also, Lee Hartman from Classic Truck Modeler Magazine has uh, come through for us and gives us a little support. And Gary Salzmacat also coming through as well. So thanks, guys. We appreciate it very much. Well, my, my next shout out is I would like to thank 
uh, IPMS Cincinnati for hosting the contest recently and for accommodating us and getting us a uh, a really cool table with a uh, a warbird to have behind us, uh, made a nice backdrop, and uh, the guys in Cincinnati put on a really nice show. And uh, it had a great time. Can't uh, I, I don't have anything but great things to say. So Don and the gang, thank you very much. Jim, you got another one? I don't have any more, so I'll just pass it back to you. Well, I've got one more, and we'll probably be done. Finally, I'd like to thank uh, Gloria Restrepo for accompanying Alex to the Cincinnati <laughs> show. Sure looked like he was having fun. So you get some saint points for that. And I hope you got a nice dinner out of it. Gloria is a really, really sweet person. It's one of those. We modelers tend to get very lucky uh, in our mates. And uh, I know Alex has gotten super lucky. So I'm I'm glad he was there. I'm glad he brought her along. And uh, I hope they had a great time. All right, guys, we're getting to the end of this. Yeah, this is going to be a long one. So uh, time time to wrap it up. Mike, you know what they say. So many kits. So little time. Jim, thanks for joining us again. We'll have you back again, but uh, we'll see you real soon. All right. Thanks for uh, having me, and I look forward to seeing you guys in person. Take care.